You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I'm here. Aaron's here. It's a football Friday. The show's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for Windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them that we told you to call. Uh, The Redskins beat Houston, if, coming up uh, in a few minutes. Ross Tucker will be a guest on the show today. I think Ross has a really sharp football opinion, so I'm looking forward to talking to him. I think we're going to have Van Pelt on the show today. Uh, he he claims that he never got our calls yesterday, and I said, yeah, well, we did call you, and we texted you. and uh, But he was really, really immersed in the snowstorm up there in Connecticut. He actually likes snow just as much as I do, if not more. Uh, Andy Poland will be on the show a little bit later on. We'll do our Skins Texans predictions together. Smell test later on as well. That storm yesterday did overperform. You know, it was more snow. It was more ice than they thought. 1.4 inches of snow at National, Aaron, was the most in November in 29 years. And the National, everybody that follows weather in this area, you, you understand that the Reagan National Airport numbers are always much less yeah. than what you really get, even in the city, but certainly in the immediate to you know further out suburbs. And there were several places around here that had four or five inches uh, of snow and then the ice. Uh, the eventual changeover to rain made it you know much more uh, easy uh, by the time we got late in the day. It was total chaos, though, up and down the East Coast. I don't know if you followed oh, the story. Oh, the, the Jersey Transit and the buses and everything. Nightmare. Oh, my goodness. People were talking about, like, four-hour commutes just from work. I, I still don't understand the stranding of, of cars and just leaving them there on, uh, on highways. But uh, there was a picture this morning on one of the early morning news programs that I was watching, I don't know which one it was, it may have been CNN, where there was a uh, a shot of a camel. Uh, yes. It was outside Philadelphia in a camel. Allentown. Yeah, a camel. Was it Allentown or was it outside of Philadelphia? I thought it was uh, Montgomery County, Philadelphia, whatever. It, it, how does a camel get stranded on the side of the road? In Philadelphia, I mean, there are animals. Lots of you are animals who live in that market. I had no idea they had camels there. Uh, it must have been some sort of truck carrying one to a zoo, I guess. A uh, Warmth coming, though. Near 50 on Thanksgiving, this is my extended forecast, near 50 on Thanksgiving and sunny, and then in the 50s next weekend, that'll feel like fall, which which, which is what we should have this time of year. Unfortunately, we got the uh, home football games for Maryland and Washington this week. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Uh, Although it's not going to be that bad in College Park tomorrow. All right, let's get to the game last night before we get to Skins beat Texans if... Seattle beat Green Bay 27-24, hit right on the number. The number went off at minus three, uh, Seattle minus three in most places. And the game, for me, came down to a few things, but I'm going to start with this. Would have been nice had Green Bay had some timeouts there at the end of the game. You know, they had to watch helplessly as Russell Wilson took three knees after the two-minute warning, need the game out after the two-minute warning. Uh, Mike Davis, a running back who I really like. I think he's going to get a good-sized contract in the offseason because his rookie deal is up, and Seattle's not going to keep him because they drafted Penny, and they've got Carson, and they, they've got Penny some guys. Penny looked great yesterday. Penny looked great, too, but Mike Davis is going to be a starter for yep. somebody uh, next year, and he sort of ran the clock out by himself uh, before the two-minute warning. And then you got the three knees. Look, you know, Green Bay used two timeouts on offense earlier in the half. It cost them a chance to at least 
force Wilson and Seattle to run more plays at the end. That's always frustrating when you have to watch that first down before the two-minute warning. You have no timeouts left, and you know that the game's going to get need out. I had a friend of mine, Ken, a big Cowboy fan. Kenny's been a longtime friend of mine, and Kenny just said, we got to fix this. Uh, we we got to fix the kneeing out at the end of the, t- uh, you know, after the two minute warning. And I'm like, well, how are you going to fix it? Well, they shouldn't be able to knee it out. I'm like, well, then they're just going to run some sort of super conservative, hand it off and fall down play. Right. Like, there's no way to stop that. But, and Andy just walked into the studio, there was a time, and it was before the Joe Pisarchik, you know, fumble in the, in the Miracle in the Meadowlands play, where teams didn't knee it out. They would be running plays until the very end. But right. there also, back then, Aaron, wasn't a 40-second play clock that would immediately, it was very... Uh, it, it wasn't precise. Like the referee would spot the ball and then start like a 25 second play clock. Well, here's another issue here. You were not protecting the quarterback then. The quarterback could be hit even on a kneel down. So that was another thing that went into the thinking of giving the handoff to Zonka. Right. So a, a, kneel, a kneel down at the end didn't mean a quarterback wasn't going to take a big blow. Right. Exactly. But before the miracle in the Meadowlands, there was no kneeing a game out. And even after that play, you know, you, you, if you look into games into the early 80s, Andy, not everybody was kneeing it out at that point. Yeah. When you got to that point. It was only when it became very precise from a timing standpoint with the 40-second play clock where you knew that right when the play ended, the 40-second clock would start. If you go back and you watch games on YouTube from the 70s, even into the early 80s, you'll see a very non-precise timing of in-between plays. There was a 25-second play clock, but it wasn't something that would be whistled officially until the referee had spotted the ball and then rolled the clock, and the spotting of the ball was very non-precise. Also, you went to games at RFK in the 70s. I don't remember seeing a play clock that came on, that came in the early that came in the 80s. Okay, so the so, so the quarterback couldn't necessarily had see no idea. how much time was left had on the no play idea. clock. Right. Had no idea. All right, so it would have been nice had Green Bay had some timeouts there at the end and uh, you're not going to fix the kneeing the thing out unless you force them to run plays, but then they're just going to be super conservative in running those plays anyway. Here's what the game really came down to though last night. Five sacks of Aaron Rodgers, three of them on third down. You know, the Packers jumped out last night to a 14-3 lead. Could have been 17-3. Mason Crosby missed a field goal in the second quarter. But the game really came down to Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay offense punting six times on their final eight drives. They scored three points in the second half, three. That was it. Uh, The touchdown throw that he had to that guy that had never caught a pass – was yeah. a spectacular oh, throw. Oh, my goodness. But the Packers only had 48 offensive snaps in the game, and they threw it on 30 of them. Here's the thing. They got a guy, and Aaron, you pointed this out yesterday. They got a guy in Aaron Jones who you can hand the ball off to. Now, they threw it to him a bunch, and he is a really good back. He's that was a, the first time they threw it to him, though. He hadn't had more than 25 yards receiving in a game, so, like I don't think in his career. He's a difference that. maker at running back. He's great. And they only ran the ball 13 times in the game against a team that has been run on yes. at times this year. Um, so the pass rush hurt him. The one-dimensional aspect of their offense hurt him last night. 
And after, you know, rolling up 21 in the first half, I mean, they punted a bunch in the second half. The debate about the end of that game, the fourth and two, Green Bay, so if you you weren't up watching till the very end, Green Bay's down 27-24. There's four minutes and 20 seconds left in the game. Uh, They've got a fourth and two at their own 33. They only have one timeout left, and Mike McCarthy decided to punt. And there was a lot of talking early this morning and after the game about Green Bay should have gone for it. Uh, in that particular spot. Look, the context of the game in that moment was Seattle getting stops. You know, the Packers were 3-for-11 on third down in the game, and Rodgers was getting heat all night long. You know, I already mentioned, sacked five times in the game. But here's why you go for it in that situation. Not because of the fourth and two league-wide conversion percentage analytics, okay? And not because of whatever the Packers' fourth and two conversion analytics are. You go for it in that particular spot because you have one timeout left. Right. And did, did you hear he thought about calling that last timeout before the fourth and two to McCar- talk it over? McCarthy, McCarthy said, said that. Well, if he had called that last timeout and then punted, oh, yeah. he should have been fired on the spot. Yep. Because that one timeout, it's only one, but it's still a crucial oh, timeout. It's, it's huge. Uh, because what it does is it forces Seattle to get two first downs when they get the ball back of instead of one. Right. Uh, but in that particular spot, I think Aaron Rodgers, fourth and two. He had missed on the third and two throw. It was a bad throw. I actually thought it got tipped, but it didn't. Um, And here's the thing, too. If you miss, Seattle now has a short field. They're going to play it conservatively anyway. They could still theoretically, starting at the Green Bay 33, make two first downs and run the clock out. But more likely than not, they're probably going to be forced to kick a field goal, and then you're going to get the ball back down 30 to 24 in Mm -hmm. that spot. So... In the fourth and two last night, I felt watching it that they should go for it. And after the fact, I still feel the same way clearly because they never got the ball back. Uh, But anyway, Green Bay's not dead. I'm just going to put that out there. They're four, five, and one. And see, the difference between the Packers and the Seahawks is the Packers still have a path to the division because they still play Chicago and Minnesota one more time. And Minnesota and Chicago each play each, they, they play each other twice. So the NFC North is still there for Green Bay. They can still get there with a run. Seattle had to have it last night because they're not making the playoffs as a division winner. They have to get in via the wild card. And I've said this about Seattle now for two or three weeks running. They're an underrated team, and they look terrible on offense in the first half last night. But their pass rush is getting home. Frank Clark's turning into a beast. Um, And they can run the football a little bit, and you still have Russell Wilson, and I think he is elite Uh, certainly in that next level after the elite. Um, Seattle still has a run in them. They've got some games, too, that are important. You know, they beat Green Bay last night. They have Minnesota in a few weeks. That'll Um, be the big one right there. That'll be a big game as well, you know, if Minnesota ends up. Now, Minnesota and Green Bay have ties so you're not gonna. It's not gonna. You're not gonna win a a tiebreaker but because just, the win, just giving, but giving them, them a loss. loss. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Let's get to Redskins beat Texans. If all right, Redskins beat Texans. If uh, I'm going to start with this one because I really think that this is the entire key to this kind of game on Sunday, and we've thrown this into the mix over the last six, seven weeks. But this is another must-have turnover margin game. They've got to be plus two or better against Houston. Have to have it against this particular team. 
The Skins are plus 11 overall, if you didn't know that. It's third best in the league behind Chicago and Cleveland, actually. And the plus 11 comes in all six of their wins. Like, in their three losses, they've got an even turnover margin. So, look, even's not good enough for this team. You know, if you have no turnovers and the other team has no turnovers, this team isn't going to win. They have to be on the plus side of the turnover margin category. Uh, Houston is not a team like Tampa that will give it away. Uh, You know, Houston is up there in terms of fewest giveaways on the season. But somehow, the Redskins have to find a way to stop two drives with turnovers or create two scores with field position after turnovers. It's crucial Sunday. They do not win this game if they are minus or even even uh, in the turnover margin category. Number two, Redskins beat Texans if the pass rush gets home. Watson's been sacked 30 times this year, eighth most in the NFL. Uh, the only team with a winning record in the, the entire league that has allowed that many sacks. You look at the top 12 teams, top 10 teams anyway, in sacks allowed. Houston's the only team on that list with a winning record. Now, a lot of those sacks, and you can picture and envision Deshaun Watson, right? He holds onto the ball a long period of time. He's always trying to make a play, running around back there, creating time, extending the play. But those 30 sacks have led to a very unimpressive third down make percentage for them. Their you know, uh, bottom quarter of the league in third down make percentage, it's at like 38%. The Skins, um, and, and listen to this one, by the way. I, I think this will surprise you because we have thought about the defense as much improved, which it is, but many of you have gotten carried away thinking it's a dominant defense. It is not. The Redskins are 28th in the league right now on third down defense. 28th. They're allowing 44% conversions on third down. So the Redskins in this particular game have to get home on Watson. Got to get to him. You know, four, five sacks, three, four, five sacks, somewhere in that, that general range will go a long way to winning a 19-16 to 16 type of game. Turnovers, pass rush pressure, sacks, get them off the field on third down. Redskins beat the Texans if... They win the field goal battle. (laughs) Yeah, this is going to be a field goal game. I can feel it right now. Don't be unhappy if Dustin Hopkins, if they're settling for four field goal attempts in this game, even if they're in the red zone, if they get to the red zone four times, you should stand up and applaud. Dustin Hopkins is also injured, Mm -hmm. and I am hearing, actually that they're very concerned about this injury, that it's also the long-term variety injury, which is why they had all these kickers in earlier in the week. One of those kickers they brought in was Blair Walsh. No thank you. Roberto Aguayo. And Aguayo, too. No thank you on Kai both. Kai Forbath. And, you know what? I would take Kai Forbath. Can't kick off, though. Yeah, but here's the thing. Remember how Kai Forbath complained about the turf at FedEx? In November and December, oh, yeah. he he was one of those guys. Not because of the crowd, he said. I remember him saying, "I like kicking on the road better." <laughs> well, all kickers like to kick on artificial turf. Yeah, well, it's not artificial turf anymore. Andy. Whatever You're it is, dating yourself. What's it called? Uh, it's called field turf. Okay, but yeah. is it real? Is do, no, do cows it's, eat it? It's not real. I no. guess I guess, but it's not the old so artificial. Arti- turf. But it's artificial then. Field goal game. Redskins have to win it. All right. 
they got to hold the Texans to field goals. By the way, Houston 27th in the league in red zone touchdown percentage. So they're kicking a bunch of field goals too. Uh, Watson, Miller, Hopkins, they're going to make plays between the 20s. I'm not advocating quite the bend-don't-break effort of last week, but if you're going to bend, just hold them to field goals in the red zone, and if Hopkins can kick some, three, four of them, you win a 19-16, 22-19 type of game, it feels like that's the kind of game that this is going to be Sunday at FedEx. Redskins beat the Texans if they're versatile offensively. You've got to keep this Houston defense of J.J. Watt and Jadavian uh, Clowney and Merciless and their secondary. You've got to keep them off balance or it's going to be trouble. Uh, right now, Houston's second in the league in defensive yards per carry, so you're not going to just line it up and run it at them. They're going to shut down the run if there's no creativity to this offense. Let's get some early down boots and play action and some quick, short, easy throws for Alex this week. This is a very good defense the Redskins are facing. If you get behind the chains on Houston, Tressway is going to end up with 9 or 10 punts in this game. Lastly, actually it's not lastly, it's next to last. The Redskins beat the Texans. They've got to stop the run in this game. Uh, I like Lamar Miller. I've been a Lamar Miller fan. I advocated a few years ago for them to go after Lamar Miller. Watson's a run threat, too. Don't let Houston become a two-dimensional offensive football team. If you do, it's going to be really difficult because they're going to move the ball and they're going to score. Um, You've got to, and I know this may seem sort of in conflict with their best players, but you've got to make Watson throw it and make them beat you with him throwing it. If they allow Lamar Miller to get off, all right, and I like Lamar Miller, but, you know, Houston's not running it that effectively this year with Miller, uh, Alfred Blue, and Deshaun Watson. I mean, they're not a big yards per carry team. They're, they're close to the bottom of the league in that. But if you stop the run, and I, I'm, I'm envisioning one of those games where they can stop the run, where Allen and Ioannidis and Payne and the linebackers, you know, when Houston does try to run the football, I see a lot of two- and three-yard carries. Make them one-dimensional or it's going to be a long day. And lastly, I would just say this. The Redskins will beat the Texans if their luck continues. They've been – they're having one of those years. Every NFL team has a year like this every once in a while where – you're plus on the turnover margin. The ball bounces your way. The other team misses field goals, and they have field goals late in the game to force overtime, hit the upright, and bounce out instead of bouncing in like what happened in the Dallas game. This 6-3 and three is with a lot of smoke and mirrors, let's be honest. But there are good things, and there are things they're doing to create these wins. But a lot of the things that have happened in those six wins, they need him to keep happening. You know, they need the ball to bounce their way. They need the key penalties and key spots. They need the missed field goals on the other end. They're not outscoring somebody in, in a, in a 35-32 type of game. It's not happening this year. You can't ask this offense to go out and travel 75-plus yards three or four times during the game uh, to win these games. All of these things that have been happening, a lot of them have been forced, and the Redskins deserve a lot of credit for them, and it's a great formula for winning. It's got to continue. 
Window Nation likes this podcast. I want you to give Window Nation a chance if you're thinking about new windows. Harley, Aaron, Eric, the whole gang, they listen to this podcast all the time, uh, and they are giving great deals right now on listeners to this podcast. If you, by the way, have that furnace kicking on and off again over and over again, you're losing energy, you're wasting money, you're letting cold air in, hot air out. Higher energy bills is the result. Right now, for a limited time, get two free windows for every two you buy. Buy four, get four free. Buy six, get six free. There's no limit. Plus, 0% financing right now for five full years. Save that well-earned money to splurge on your family and friends and maybe even yourself this holiday season. Act fast because there's still time if you do it today, if you do it soon to get those windows installed by the holidays. Save today, save tomorrow, save forever. Call Window Nation today at 866-90-NATION. Get two free windows for every two you buy. Buy four, get four free, plus 0% interest for five full years. I promise you that if you give Window Nation a chance, you won't be disappointed. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com and tell them that I sent you. All right, let's bring in Ross Tucker, who's got a great podcast, and I've said this before, I think he's got one of the sharpest football opinions, and I've always enjoyed having him on the shows that I've been involved in, and he's nice enough to give us some time here on a, on a Football Friday. Um, the Ross Tucker uh, Football Podcast is available where all podcasts are, and you can follow Ross and get access to it on Twitter at Ross Tucker uh, NFL. I, I want Before we get to the Redskins, I, I want to talk about the game last night. I don't think it was a death blow for Green Bay. They still have a path to the division title. Um, but did you think, you know, there's a lot of talk this morning, Ross, about the fourth and two Green Bay from their own 33 with one timeout and about 420 to go. Do you think they should have gone for it there? I think in hindsight that's easy to say. I think I don't have a huge problem with it either way. I guess my issue would be, and what would have put me over the top, was just the fact that you know their two best run defenders, Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark, were both hurt and out of the game. Yeah, that's when somebody should say, "Hey, Mike, you know, if we punt this away here, you know, we don't have Daniels, we don't have Kenny Clark. You know, they might be able to to run it down our throat." And they did. You know, they ran it right down their throat for two first downs. Game was over. So, yes, I I, I did think it was a mistake, but I don't think it's like the worst thing that ever happened, right? I don't think it's like a, a terrible, fireable mistake, but I think given those special set of circumstances, they should have gone for it, yeah. And it's a really good point about their two D tackles uh, being out in that spot. Do you think Seattle's a bit underrated? They are, because if you look at their losses, I mean, they've lost to some really good teams for the most part, and it's weird because I actually feel, and I said this, Kev, even yesterday before their game, I actually feel really good about where the Seahawks are. And, I mean, they're four and five. We're used to the Seahawks, you know, for years and years, getting into the playoffs and, you know, 11, 12, 13 wins. So it feels weird when they're four and five to say that I feel pretty good about them. But I do. I mean, I, I just I kind of feel good about where they're at at this stage of their development. You know, I think a lot of people thought they'd take a major step back moving on from Sherman and Bennett and Chancellor and all those guys. But yet, I mean, here they are, 5-5, five and five, and absolutely in the mix for the final wild card spot. They're back to playing kind of the way Pete Carroll wants to play, which is 
a lot of running the rock. They got three different backs. So I feel good about them. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think they are underrated. I think they have a chance. I have, you know, I haven't studied the last six games for any of these teams yet, but I think that they absolutely have a chance to get a wild card. I still think the Packers do as well. Packers have some soft games coming up on their schedule also. All right, let's get to our team here. Uh, if somebody, if a friend of yours said the Redskins are 6-3, and three, they're in the division lead, uh, how have they done it? How would you describe it? I would say they have won the battle up front on both sides of the ball in most of the games in which they've played, and they've done a nice job of not turning the football over realizing who they are and what they are, which is not a very explosive team, especially when Crowder's out. That hurts them in terms of throwing the ball. But they have found a way on a week-to-week basis to figure out what gives them the best chance to win that game, for the most part, you know, obviously with some exceptions. And they've gone out and they've executed. You know, they – they remind me of kind of like the old school NFC East, you know, like they, they remind me of some of the teams that, that used to win that division, you know, like the giants back in the day. It's, it's not going to be pretty. You're not going to be wowed. It's not the Rams or the saints or the chiefs or whatever, but they know what they are and that's half the battle. And they're leaning on what they are, which is the best defense they've had in DC in a long, long time. All right, so what's the upside right now in terms of this season? The upside is they win the division. In fact, I think at this point it'd be a major disappointment if they don't win the division. So I think that's, that's really important that they find a way to get that done. They can't get swept by the Eagles in those two games that they play. That's obviously going to be a huge factor. Uh, and I think they can win the division, and I think – maybe they're good enough to win a home playoff game, you know, against uh, a Carolina, maybe a Chicago, maybe Seattle. Or I, I think they can gut out one of those wins, but I, I'd be very, very surprised if they went to New Orleans or to LA and got that win. So I think the upside is a home playoff game, a division championship, and maybe even uh, the first playoff victory. And gosh, you have to tell me a long time. Yeah, it's been a long time. Well, they haven't won a playoff game since 2005, uh, the, the, the one they won in Tampa. By the way, and we talked about this the other day, uh, imagine that Minnesota comes in here for a playoff game uh, in early January wild card weekend. That would be interesting. You know, Ross, Ross is one of those, and I, I, I follow you on Twitter, and I've seen you push back on the anti-Kirkers too, and I'm, I'm a Kirk guy. I think that they made a mistake not signing him a few years ago when they could have had him for you know, a, a reasonable cost. Um, but let's get to the quarterback here who replaced him. What kind of year uh, do you how – would, how would you describe Alex Smith's season, and, and are you surprised that he struggled a little bit? Well, first of all, I'm glad you just mentioned what you did and said what you said about – you know, the playoff game potential, Minnesota at Washington, because I am now rooting for that. <laughs> I, now want, I now want the Bears to win the NFC North. I want, you know, the Vikings to get the number five seed somehow, and I want them to play in Washington. That would be amazing. You know, I, I root for entertainment. I root for intrigue. <laughs> I root for great stories. That would be ridiculous, man. I would love that. I would love if that happened. Uh, as for Alex Smith, I would say he's been a little disappointing. Uh, but 
you think about what he's dealing with now, especially with the offensive line around him. You think about losing guys, you know, the, the lack of weapons that they have at the receiver position. So he's in a much different spot than he was when he was in Kansas City, right? And also, just seeing what Patrick Mahomes is doing in Kansas City just shows you how much of the real good year that Alex Smith had last year, how much of that was probably a big factor with Andy Reid and his ability to scheme up and play call. And even Matt Nagy, who's now in Chicago getting dudes wide open for the Bears. So you realize all of those things contribute. And I think that they're realizing that, you know, Alex is best served for this current iteration of the Redskins to just make a couple first down play action throws, convert some third downs, not turn it over, and win a bunch of ugly games. Yeah, I, that's true, and, and that's what he's done, and that's been the contribution really, right, is he's not turning the ball over and they're winning these games in which they've got positive turnover margin and, and a few breaks here and there. There have been a bunch of missed field goals in games that they've won um, this year. You know, the ball's sort of bounced their way. But I wonder, do you, do you think anybody out in Ashburn is regretting the four-year contract extension at this point? No, I don't think so because they are six and three. You know, he's doing, I think, for the most part, what they kind of thought he would do. And if you look at that money compared to what all these other guys have gotten since, I mean, there's guys making like $10 million a year almost more than that now. I mean, there's multiple guys making $6 million more, $7 million more, $8 million more. I think if I'm the Redskins, I'm actually looking at it like, we got a pretty good deal here where we're able to have a, a, a very solid starting quarterback, a winning starting quarterback in the NFL for arguably you know, below market value for a starting quarterback, winning starting quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, the only difference, right, is that he's four, five, in some cases, ten years older than some of the guys that are getting some of those big deals, but not all of them, not all of them. Um, right, but, he's, but, but it's only a four-year deal. Yeah. He's in great shape. He, he hasn't really been shape. banged up in his career. And even if he only plays three of it, you know, which I think is very reasonable, I think it's worth it. All right. Uh, in the division, do you see Philadelphia turning it around and making a late run here? They still have the Redskins twice. I do think that they will make a run. I don't have faith that it'll be good enough. You know, I, I, I do Eagles pregame this year. I've watched every snap they've played. And something's just off, Kev. They, they just – it's like they take turns getting beat or making a, a dumb mental mistake or whatever. And even like the last game, some, some of the guys, Ertz has played great, Jeffrey – and the D-line let Zeke run all over him? You know, with like a revamped Cowboys O-line like that? I mean, they've just taken – it. Just they just don't have it this year. But they have enough talent that I think that they'll give it a run. But I just – I don't have faith that they'll beat the Redskins twice. I don't have faith that they'll, that they'll get to 9-7. and seven. I mean, they're going to lose at New Orleans Sunday. They're going to lose at L.A. So they'd have to – against the Rams, they'd have to win the rest yeah. of their games – to be able to be 9-7. and seven. I mean, they got, they have to win all the other five other games to be 9-7. They haven't shown enough consistency for me to think they'll do that. I think that they're headed towards 
seven and nine, maybe eight and eight. Yeah, that's the math. I mean, you can't right now. There's no chance Sunday, and there's probably no chance in LA. And that's nine and seven. They could theoretically, and we talked about this earlier this week on the podcast. They could sweep the Redskins and still lose the division. We're talking to Ross Tucker. Uh, this uh, podcast is presented by Window Nation. Let me just ask you, as as far as the NFC is concerned, do you see anybody other than the Saints and the Rams coming out of the NFC right now? Is it that clear cut? I don't really see anybody else. I guess if I had to throw a third team in there that would have a chance, I can see Kirk Cousins and the Vikings being good enough to make a run. You know, as they get healthier, they get in the playoffs. Seems like he almost plays better on the road. You know, we saw how he played when they played out in L.A. against the Rams in that Thursday night game. He was awesome in that game. So I kind of give the Vikings a puncher's chance. I don't really see, you know, Carolina's not playing well enough defensively. You know, we, we talked about the NFC East. I, I don't really, you know, I don't think the Bears are ready for that yet. So the only team I, I, would, I would give some, you know, it's probably, you know, 45%, 45% the Rams and the Saints, and then maybe 10% of Vikings, if that, right? I'd say, I'd say 50% Saints win it maybe 45% that the Rams win it, and then 5% that the Vikings could somehow sneak in. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Minnesota is they were unhealthy early. They didn't have Everson Griffin early. Defensively, they were struggling. Out of the three teams, really, it may be the best defensive team when they are playing well, as they have here uh, the last couple of weeks, or certainly against the Lions. Sunday night's a big game in that division. In the AFC, is anybody outside of Kansas City, Pittsburgh, uh, and New England lurking? Do you think the Chargers could go on the road and win three games? I do. I, I do. I, I think the Chargers are pretty darn good. Now, that would be that would be tough duty, obviously, and it probably won't happen. Although, you know, if Kansas City loses Monday night, you know, both those teams are tied atop the AFC West. Now, I think Kansas City beat them head-to-head, so they would have the edge to this point. But the Chargers might even have a chance, believe it or not, to win the division. So as good as Kansas City's been all year, you know, they might end up being a wild card. I think the Chargers are really good, man. And now they're going to get, to your point about Everson Griffin in Minnesota, now the Chargers Bosa. are going to get Joey Bosa back soon. Yeah. I mean, he's their best player. So... That that gives them even that gives me even more belief. If you add in to what they already got, Chargers could be pretty filthy. You know, the, I love the Chargers too. But when you go back and you look at the games that they've won here over the last year, going back to this time November a year ago, versus the games they've lost, they really haven't beaten anybody during this stretch. In the best teams they've played, they really haven't been close against. You know, Kansas City. Uh, you know it, it, the Rams, etc. It's it's strange because they certainly have the talent. I, I'm a I'm rooting for Philip Rivers, man. I would love to see it because to me he is an absolute Hall of Famer, and I'd love to see him get the 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 playoff production to go with it. I agree, and I, I think that they'll at least win one playoff game this year, and maybe even go on a run. And I, and I hope they do for him and for everybody. It's just crazy. I I do power rankings on the Ross Tucker football podcast every Tuesday. I was thinking about this this week. I have two teams from L.A. in my top four. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that earlier. Uh, yeah, imagine I, I imagine mean, a Rams-Chargers Super Bowl in Atlanta. 
Well, not only that, three years ago, if you would have told me that the two top teams in the NFL would both be in L.A., I mean, I wouldn't even have thought there would be two teams in L.A., let alone two of the four best teams in the NFL. It's crazy. I still wish one of them were in San Diego. I think it would be better uh, for them and, and the league if, the, if they were. All right, everybody, te- everybody feels that way. Literally everybody. All right, tell us, uh, how's Ball Cannon, ballcannon.com doing? Doing great, man. The, uh, the Ravens just bought three of them. I don't even know if the Redskins have any yet, but the Ravens just bought three of them, which is cool. It's not like we're marketing them to NFL teams, but they see the usage of it, whether it's you know in the training room for their players or certainly like the Ravens. I, I saw a video where the Ravens had it on the field and fans were catching it. You know, like a 12-year-old kid was catching it during the game. It's actually pretty, pretty awesome just to see something from my hometown a buddy of mine invented it, and you know now there's like eight NFL teams have it, a bunch of college teams have it, and anybody that ever gets one, like my kids are five and six, they love it. If, if you haven't thought of what you're going to get, especially if you have a son, but really anybody, if you haven't thought of what you're going to get them for the holidays yet, make, do yourself a favor and go to ballcannon.com or just Google Ballcannon and check out the videos, and I can tell you in person, the thing's even a hundred times better. I mean, I, I've never been to an event yet where there wasn't like a line 10 deep of kids just absolutely loving catching passes off the ball cannon. You know, it, it, did you see the video of Drew Brees with his kids uh, in the house? Yes. So yes. it's it's funny because I have three boys and, and uh, my three boys are uh, – the, the, let's just say whatever they lack in speed, they make up with uh, with with less jumping ability. All right, but they but they have good hand eye coordination. And I watched Breeze, and I think about your product. And for fathers with boys and girls when they're young, it's all about just tossing footballs and basketballs to them and developing that hand eye coordination. Because if you've got good hand eye coordination, even if you don't have the speed or the overall physical athletic ability you'll be able to do everything well and good enough that's a great point and i love that video you just gave me an idea i gotta reach out to drew and make sure uh make sure he gets one of these because he's really big into flag football and it'd be great for his boys it'd be great all right good luck with that good luck with the podcast i always love uh talking uh football with you really appreciate it have a great weekend and a great thanksgiving and we'll catch up soon Absolutely, Kevin. You as well. Congrats on the success of the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you to Ross Tucker, who's great. Uh, Listen to his podcast. He really is a sharp football uh, mind. Uh, Didn't have like this great career. Uh, He was in Washington to start his career, if you recall. Played for five or six different teams, including the Cowboys and the Patriots. You know, but he was in places like New England where he was able to learn. But uh, he was look. He went to Princeton. He's a bright guy. Um, let me tell you about two other bright guys, Kevin Farish and Ralph Perkins. And I am serious about this. They're in the car business, but they really get it. They're smart. They know how to connect with their customers. And I've mentioned this before about their website. Sometimes, you know, it's just something like that, that, that gives you the indication that they know how to make it easy in a customer business, new inventory, used inventory, schedule service. Those are the three options. When you go to farishcars.com. Well, what else would you be looking for? You don't have to scroll or tab down and, and click five, six different things to get to what you're looking for. New inventory, used inventory, schedule 
full service. And by the way, their service department's great. If you buy a car, if you buy a vehicle from Farish, uh, what I hear over and over again from the people that have listened to the shows that I've been involved in over the years that have bought from Farish is that the service is the best part of it. They're in and out very quickly. Farish makes it easy. Uh, as mentioned, they're smart. They know what their customers want. I promise you that if you give them a chance, they won't disappoint. Their sales team, most of them have been there for somewhere around 20 years on average. They know how to sell a car and they know how to do it right for the customer. Uh, they've got plenty of inventory on their lot right now. Whatever you're looking for, you'll likely find it, be able to drive it off the lot today. Lots of Jeeps, uh, Cherokees, Grand Cherokees, Wranglers, and right now, if you're uh, a family and you're looking for a new minivan, they've got the best deals of the year on the Chrysler Pacifica. They're located right there in Fairfax Circle. Ask for Ralph Perkins when you get there, please. If you if you go out there, ask for Ralph. He's in the store six days minimum a week. Tell him that I sent you. He'll put you in touch with their best salesperson. You can find out all you need to know, live inventory, live pricing at FarishCars.com. Let's get to some Friday football quick picks. Everything you need to know for your football weekend, it's Friday football quick picks. All right, the games that uh, are sort of the games to watch uh, this weekend this is the worst college football card of the year. You know, the SEC teams all have that uh, gimme opponent before they set up for rivalry weekend next weekend. You know, Bama-Auburn. Bama's a 50-point favorite over the Citadel. I think it is. I think um, LSU's playing Rice. Uh, Georgia's playing UMass, I think. Um, there are a couple of games. Syracuse-Notre Dame is probably the marquee game of your college football Saturday, and no one saw this coming. Syracuse is ranked 12th in the country. They are 8-2, and two, and the thing about it is, okay, they haven't really beaten anybody that good. The two teams that they've lost to, Clemson and Pitt, are going to be in the ACC championship game. Yeah, Pitt's going to win the Coastal Division and be in the title game against Clemson. And those two games are games they lost, but they're really the only team, Aaron, that pushed Clemson. They're the only team this year uh, other than A&M. Clemson had that close game with Texas A&M early in the season, week two uh, in College Station. But other than that, they've had one competitive football game, and it was against Syracuse in Death Valley. And remember, Syracuse had a lead in that game before Trevor Lawrence went out. Before he went out, they ended up losing that game 27-23. But Syracuse has a quarterback uh, in Eric Dungy who can throw it, who can run it. Uh, it's a good offensive football team. Dino Babers is probably not going to be in Syracuse next year. Yeah. I think he'll be at Southern Cal, personally. I think that's the job for him. Uh, I can't think right now off the top of my head, what are going to be the other big jobs? Could Miami open up? It could. I guess it could. Yeah. I'd love to see him out in L.A. I'd love to see him in a place where, you know, I don't know, as a traditionalist, I, I like it when SC's good. I like it when they're a factor. And they could be a factor next weekend against Notre Dame. They're not a terrible team. And the, and the young freshman quarterback is getting better. But I personally, this game's being played in Yankee Stadium, uh, by the way, if you didn't know that. Uh, I like Notre Dame here. They're laying a big number. It's like 10 and a half. Uh, wait a few minutes we'll see if it's in the smell test but I have a feeling that this is the first game that Syracuse actually gets rocked in a little bit uh Notre Dame's really good offensively 
they kept pace with Clemson. They kept pace with Pitt. And they can score, man. I mean, Syracuse can really score. They put 51 up against NC State. They put 54 up against a, a bad Louisville team. They went on the road in the game that I think I had Wake Forest in the smell test. Actually, I didn't have them, but I liked them. Uh, and Wake hung in there for a while, and then they pulled away from Wake and Winston-Salem. It's a good football team, really good football team. That's your game tomorrow, really. I mean... What else are you really thinking about tomorrow on the college football card? Come I mean, on, that big Ohio State-Maryland matchup. It's strange that the line's only 14, 14 and a half. I, I've shorted Ohio State all year long. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a believer in Haskins. I'm not a believer in that defense. Um, I think they're going to get run next weekend. They're, they're going to beat Maryland, but Maryland could be a smell test pick. They could. Although the last time I had them against Michigan State, how did that work out? There's another interesting game. Arizona's at Washington State late Saturday night. Uh, Washington State's 9-1. and one. If you're a Mike Leach, if you're a college football fan, you've got to be a Mike Leach fan. So you're, you, I'd like to see them in, the, in, in that Pac-12 championship game, winning it and being there on the cusp of the playoff. Arizona's good. Listen to what J.J. Taylor, their running back, has done in the last two weeks. This is very unusual um, in you know spread offense football uh, in in 2018. JJ Taylor last week, 40 carries, 40 in a college football game, 192 yards. The week in their win over Colorado. The week before that, JJ Taylor, 30 carries, 212 yards. J.J. Taylor has carried the ball in two games, the last two, 70 times for 404 yards. That's amazing. He's averaging like 6.5 yards per carry. He had another big game earlier this year where he went for 284 against Oregon State. And remember about this uh, with Arizona, if you you don't know much about him, they got a good quarterback in Khalil Tate. He threw five touchdown passes in the same game that J.J. Taylor had 40 carries in. So Arizona can win this game um, tomorrow night in in Pullman. Uh, It's an interesting game. That's it. I mean, the, the college football card pretty much stinks. The other games this weekend interested in watching. I, I will say this. I am going to the Maryland game tomorrow. I, I'm thinking I haven't been to a game this year, so I'm going to go see the Buckeyes tomorrow. That's I guess that's why I'm going. I just admitted it, right? It's <laughs> like I'm not going to see Maryland play, oh, boy. although I'm more interested to see what Piggy can do as the starting quarterback. That'll I, be interesting. But, you know, here's the problem with Maryland in these games against Iowa and Michigan and Michigan State, they can't they get, control the line. They can't control the line of scrimmage, and if they can't run the football, they're done. They're done in a big way. Uh, they're plus fourteen tomorrow. Who knows? Uh, Sunday. All right. The NFL card isn't really. You're talking about the the primetime matchups or the the marquee matchups are the best. Last night's game. Uh, Sunday at 4 o'clock, this looked a lot better at the beginning of the season than maybe it looks now, but everybody's going to tune in to see the Eagles of the Saints on Sunday afternoon. Vikings-Bears, huge game Sunday night. That got flexed into that spot. And then, of course, the Chiefs and the Rams on Monday night in Los Angeles. Um, there is another game I am interested in watching. I'm interested to, interested to see if the Cowboys can go into Atlanta. They're a little bit banged up on defense. Because this will set the stage for potentially a massive Thanksgiving Day game. If the Cowboys somehow go into Atlanta and win, uh, look, if the Cowboys lose and the Redskins beat Houston 
and the Skins are seven and three, and the Cowboys are four and six. Like even if the Cowboys beat the Skins to get to five and six, the Redskins would still be seven and four. They'd still be two games back. So the Redskins could theoretically have a three-game lead at the end of Sunday in the NFC East, and that would be it. It would be over at that point. I think the Cowboys are very capable now. I know that I buried them about two weeks ago, but I I did say when I was burying them, they're good on defense. They're really good on defense. It showed Sunday night. I wonder if they can go into Atlanta and make a game of it Sunday. If they somehow ran the ball like they did Sunday night and they got Amari Cooper involved a little bit and they beat Atlanta, then that Thanksgiving Day game, even if the Redskins win, is still a massive game in the division. I'm also interested, very interested, to see what Baltimore trots out Sunday at quarterback. If it's if it's Griffin, <laughs> it's too bad it's a 1 o'clock game and we can't watch it because the Redskins will be playing at the same time on CBS. Uh, but that's an interesting thing. I, I've been on the Ravens. I'm not off of them yet until they're buried. I still think they're capable of making a run, but obviously to do that, they're going to have to win their next two games, both at home against Cincinnati and Oakland, to get themselves to 6-5, and five, where they then would be playing those final five games to try to get to 10 wins in a wild card berth. I will say this to you. They got no shot. And I know I know not everybody, most people, don't think much of Joe Flacco. But I will tell you this, they've got no shot to make a run without him at quarterback, well, in, the, in my view. The, the big question for them is, is what you do with Harbaugh if they don't make the playoffs this year. That's the, all the talk right now. Uh they're gonna they're gonna fire him yeah. if if he doesn't get them to the postseason. That's apparently that that was pretty much preordained. So, but there's gonna be a spot for for John oh, Harbaugh. Oh yeah, there's gonna be competition for John oh, yeah. Harbaugh. Yeah, he'll, he'll be in the, the top guy probably. Uh, the uh, the other game, real quickly, that I'm interested in watching. I, I think Frank Reich. I think we've got to watch Indianapolis and Frank Reich in particular as a head coach. I think he's I think he's gonna be a very good head coach. And Indy right now is on an upward turn, and they're playing Tennessee to get right back into this race in the AFC uh, South. Indy's interesting. Now, you can look at what they've done here over three weeks and say, okay, well, they beat the Bills, the Raiders, and the struggling Jaguars. Okay, well, this week they've got a hot Tennessee team. Line's been moving all over the place. All over the place right now. They've got Tennessee at home here, and they've got the Titans twice the rest of the way. So we'll see. Uh, on upset alert uh, this week, uh, I Pittsburgh for me. I, I, yep, I, I think Pittsburgh's on upset alert Sunday. Um, what else would you consider an upset? I mean, are you going to consider Houston if they lose to the Redskins as a three-point favorite, a big upset? I'll tell you what, I think Carolina's on upset al- alert this weekend. I think Detroit could win at home over Carolina. All right, let's bring in Scott Van Pelt. We missed him yesterday. Um we won't get into why we missed you yesterday. It was, I'm just going to take the blame for it. It was our fault. Uh, we probably called the wrong no number. No one cares. I'm here now. We, pro- we, we called the wrong number, I'm sure. But you are here now. And I actually like when you're on on Friday because you've already given out your winners on your Thursday night show, which, by the way, is just destroying the competition. Uh, uh, it, it, you didn't even need to tell me about it. I've read it everywhere about how the ratings are just through the roof and – I don't even think people understand how successful uh, your sports center uh, is, your midnight sports center uh, with Stanford Steve. Yeah, it's the best one ever, and everyone should bow before me. No, we're happy. You know, things we've done okay, and you know, 
whatever. People like it. That's great. We're just we're just happy that we get to do what we like and do stupid stuff like me give out nine picks last night. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's it's been fun for sure. All right, it's 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 a terrible college football card tomorrow. Um, I, I. did you did you give out any favorites among the nine teams that you gave out? We'll get to your picks in, in a moment, but were any of them favorites? Did you give out Notre Dame because they certainly would appear to be right? No, I don't like them. I, I think Syracuse is good enough to make it a game, and so I, I I didn't I didn't give out Syracuse. I mean, I Notre Dame. I did not. Did you give out Oklahoma State? I did. All right, so. I, I was thinking about this, and you and I have had a c- couple of conversations about you know the playoff. I love the college football playoff. I wish it were more teams, but it, it it's great for the sport, which is already the greatest regular season sport that there is. I, if West Virginia beats Oklahoma State and Oklahoma back-to-back, because they'll play them twice. They'll play them next week, next Friday night in Morgantown, and then they would play them in the Big 12 championship game. That is quite the statement that the Mountaineers would make. It wouldn't likely be enough, but how impressive would it be, and are they good enough to go win these three games? Oklahoma's defense is terrible, and so is Oklahoma State's defense. Yeah, I think they're really good. I mean, uh, they they have a weird deal where they didn't play NC State earlier this year. Not that that would have been some tiebreaker, but it's it's a game that... The hurricane. You know, anyone, right, exactly. Um, but but their Greer, their quarterback's fantastic, and offensively, they're really good. Holgerson, I think everybody loved when, when they were down there at Texas and they scored a touchdown. I mean, you could clearly see him say, you want to win the game? All right, go win the game. And they went for two and they got it because people love when you go for it when you get it. Um, <laughs> they, they, seriously, oh, that's awesome. And then you go for it and you don't. You're like, why did you go for it? Well, because you would have loved it if we got it just like that. Um, but we there's a scenario here where potentially, and you, you believe this I know for sure, potentially you could have three of the five Power Five conferences get shut out if Alabama loses a close game to Georgia and Notre Dame wins out. That means three of the four could be those three. So that's one conference and an independent. And you could don't tell me Notre Dame's an ACC team. They're not. So, sure, West Virginia possibly could get in. Um, but I just want to go back to something you said that's unrelated to the playoff. You said college football is the best regular season, whatever. I, I love the sport. I think this college football season is horrible. I think it's I think it's lacked interesting games. I think there are very few memorable games. Um, Alabama's been such a wrecking ball and they've really only played one team that's close to being your equal and that wasn't close. I just I think this season for me has been the least interesting in my in my memory. Um that doesn't that 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 doesn't change my mind that it's the greatest regular sport season sport that there is. This it's a short sprint and it's and it's dramatic. But I I, I don't I'm not gonna disagree with you that this year in particular, I think I may have been at one of the games of the year, the Penn State Ohio State game and the whiteout at State College. That was a phenomenal football game. But you're right, like the other big anticipated games have sort of flopped. I mean, obviously the LSU Alabama game, which was the most anticipated game of the year was just a, a one-sided beatdown. Um, Look at it this way, Kevin. Pittsburgh is going to represent one half of the of the Atlantic Coast Conference in the uh, title game. 
That's a team that, that lost by 100 on its home field at Penn State. Northwestern is going to represent the Big Ten in one half of its playoff. That's a team that lost on its home field to Akron. Um, these are these are the teams standing in the way of Clemson and whoever wins the Big Ten. Like that, that's terrible. That, that that's not that's supposed to be like a title game. It's not even interesting. So like I just there's there's very little intrigue. There's very little that stands in the way of these best of these really good teams. They haven't been Clemson hadn't played a close game since A and M early this year, and the and the Syracuse game where they didn't have their quarterback. Because uh, he got hurt, so I mean, yeah, but they were behind. I, I they were behind with him in the game before he got hurt for the first quarter of the game. Uh, I, I get it. Uh, I, I again, look, I love college football. Uh, I just don't think this season's been that interesting. Because if you, if I asked you to tell me the ten best games, you'd struggle. Like normally, you're there. The list of ten's not even close to enough. I, I think, I think this season sucked because it has. Well, you know what? It's not over yet, and there, there could be. That's there, true. I mean, next weekend. Looks like on paper, you've got you know you got the biggest games. You've got the games that will determine you know where you go from there. Because to your point, none of these, with the exception of the SEC title game, are going to make much difference on you know on championship weekend, the the following weekend, the first weekend in December. Um, Okay, so let's cut to the chase. Let's get to the playoff discussion, and let's talk about even if we ultimately believe that it's a battle for second place behind Alabama. Let's talk about getting to these final four teams. You believe that if Alabama were to lose to Georgia in the SEC title game, they're not going, right? If. That's a, this is a giant if. I think Alabama will be left out if they lose to Georgia and Clemson wins out. Michigan wins out, and Notre Dame wins out. Because then I believe the teams that will go will be those three and Georgia. I don't think Alabama will get in because it means you're going to have to discount a Michigan team that will not have lost since its opening game to one of the other playoff teams at their home field and two teams that were undefeated. That's So who are you putting them in? Who's uh, Alabama in over if they lose to Georgia? Look up. It's totally what you just said makes so much sense, and the numbers make sense. I just can't imagine that if the context is they lost in overtime after a controversial call. I know. I'm just – okay, they lose a now close game. Changed. They lose a close game to Georgia. Close game. Let's just say okay. 17-13 is the final score in the SEC title game. They lose – they're out if Michigan beats Columbus, uh, be, wins in Columbus, beats Northwestern, Notre Dame wins tomorrow, beats SC, and Clemson wins the ACC title and doesn't lose to South Carolina on the road. And they're all the, – you mm-hmm. get those three undefeateds. Or the, the two undefeateds yeah. and the one loss. Wow. Yeah, that's what I think. Does everybody I, else I, agree I with you up there? No, I don't think – I mean, I don't know if everyone agrees with me. I mean um... – I don't see many people. I'm on late at night, and I don't cross paths with a lot of people. <laughs> Reese Davis and I had this conversation. He's on every Tuesday following the release of these rankings. And um, I asked about Alabama and the path, and he's the first one that made me really push back and think about, well, hold on now. I believe Alabama is the same as everybody else does. I think they're, they're clearly better than, than everyone else in college football this year. But I also think that if they were to lose – to Georgia, uh, 
that it, then it becomes an incredibly difficult conversation if there's two undefeateds and one team that lost to that to one of those undefeateds, and the other team lost in its last game. Bama, Bama benefited last year from the fact that they, that they lost before the last weekend, which gave everybody time to have that not be the last thing they saw. It gave everybody time to really think about, man, they were awfully banged up, and they're going to get healthy, and that changes what we think they are. Uh, this is a healthy team, uh, Alabama. It will be the last thing we saw, and everybody else will have won. I think all those things conspire to leave out a, a team everyone knows is really good. Yeah, you've got to pick somebody. You've got to leave somebody out, and they would have been the one that lost. Here's the thing about the Alabama-Georgia SEC title game, where Alabama will be a significant favorite to win that game, right? What, what will be the point spread? Have we seen the look-ahead line to that yet? I'm not, I don't know. A couple, I, I don't know. It's got to be two touchdowns, right? Touchdown? I don't know, maybe, probably. I mean, they haven't been shorter than that all year. Last year, Auburn, off of a very physical game against Bama, wasn't right for Georgia. Alabama just played maybe the best defensive team in the country in Mississippi State last week. Mm -hmm. And now they're going to play Auburn, another good defensive team. They'll beat Auburn, but they may be vulnerable going into that SEC title game the same way Auburn was last year. Okay, and if they lose, you're telling me they're still getting in? I'm just telling you that I don't think anybody believes they're going to lose, and I don't think they're going to lose either, but they're going to go into that game in a different state off of a lot of these teams that they've just played, Mississippi State and then Auburn versus Georgia, who will have played UMass and Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech, Georgia will be – uh, will be healthy and and in a good spot if if they've got any chance to do it. Well, if Alabama is vulnerable and they actually have to play a game where that's close, then good. They haven't played a, they haven't played an interesting game this year, not one, not one. No, nobody. Mississippi State's defense good. They couldn't have scored a point if they played ten quarters. No, they should have LSU. had seven points. They they had well, they had that, them taken off true. the board. Which really that, that hurt a lot of things last week. Significant to some. Well, then LSU couldn't have scored if they played eight, ten quarters. I, I just, I just wanted to play somebody that's, that's, that's. You know, I'm not saying they're equal, but at least somebody that can make the game interesting. Um, they're part of what I've talked about with this whole season. They're, they're, they're so good that they don't, they don't play games that are interesting because no one makes them, no one makes them have to really fight. All right, so basically all of the conversation about Alabama losing, we should just drop it. It's going to be Bama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Michigan. Uh, likely. Uh, I mean, look, it would, be, it would be hard for me to believe that we would get from the, from the start of these playoffs to the end and have it be essentially status quo. The first one included LSU, but we knew by definition someone had to lose because there was a head-to-head the very first week of the rankings. And in the history of these rankings, it's only been four, and that is at the fifth. But half of the teams in the first one by over history haven't made it. There's been 16 teams, right? So four times four, 16. Only eight have made it. Uh, it would be really hard for me to believe that essentially it will be status quo from start to finish. Something, something un, um, unforeseen normally happens. I just think it's you got to really squint hard to convince yourself that Clemson's going to lose to South Carolina or Pitt. Um, I suppose the most the most likely or possible thing is that Syracuse could beat Notre Dame, 
um, certainly Ohio State could beat Michigan. Uh, and, and if those things happen, then we get the, the – I don't even know if people like it or they don't, but at least then we get the interesting politicking and the beauty contest aspect comes in where you have to compare things. Um, and what you were suggesting with if Alabama were to lose, then it, those are the really – difficult conversations because you have to choose between the same types of resumes and then it becomes, well, the resumes aren't the same because look at this, this, and this. But it, it just feels like what we've got right now is what we're going to end up with. Those will be the four. If one of those things happens and it's not Bama and Clemson, it's Notre Dame or Michigan, Notre Dame losing tomorrow or to SC or Michigan losing to Ohio State, um, uh-huh. Oklahoma, West Virginia, and Ohio State, like that's the group, right, that it comes from? Yep. Yep, that's it. Big Twelve, Big Twelve could be the most the most likely. Like OU, if they were to win out, um, would be would be I think the most likely, and they'd be the one favored to because their offense is really good. But you're right, their defense is just gross compared to. I mean, look, Michigan, uh, not not as much Notre Dame, but definitely Michigan and Alabama. Those those defenses are on a, on a different level. And OU's defense can't stop anyone. I mean, anyone. They don't even look interested. Um, uh, in it, but they're but they're offensively the most talented of that of those groups. So, um, you know, Clemson's defense too is, is in the same same category. So, uh, OU OU slash West Virginia would be the most likely if we have somebody stumble. All right, who'd you give out last night? Um, I don't even remember. Um, it was just a like I get, and it was funny because I was just laughing the entire time. I said, "This is me and my most stubborn." Um, because I gave out a bunch of teams that failed already for me this year. I gave out Colorado again at home against oh, Utah. Yeah. I gave out Florida State uh, against Boston College. I gave out uh, Cal against Stanford. I gave out Kansas State. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've watched them play, but, boy, it's hard to watch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they just they just snap it to a quarterback. And he runs. Kind of, he, well, but runs, like, he, he there's a, the quarterback waits for, like, a second and Picks the one spot to run. It's Missi- that, it's that, Mississippi that, State's that. offense. Yeah, kind of. It's it's hard to watch. I gave out them. I gave out Mississippi. I gave out Oak State. I gave out um, Maryland. Think, is that eight? Is that no? They were close to being on the list, but I didn't give them Minis- out. Was, Minnesota. Weird one. That that yeah. Who were they playing? Uh, Northwestern. Yeah, no, I didn't give them out. I gave them out last week, and they won. At some point, you can't give out everybody. I love Virginia. I didn't give them out. I don't know. I'm 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 half stepping and doubting myself. It's, it has been a great year for winners. <laughs> you know, are you you've got a winning record though, right? I do, but it's I mean, I know my, I, I, you know my my partner in crime, Stanford Steve's like. That is like seventy five percent on the year. So it's, I'm just sitting there, like, what? Why do I get out all these picks? Like, you, we should just let him sit here and get out his picks. No, you got to keep doing it. You got to stick with the, with uh, with our theory. Um, but he's had a year unlike, like people that have years like Stanford Steve, where he's hitting at seventy five percent. When they say they're hitting at seventy five percent, it's usually not true. But in this case, it is true. It is true because we've got them all documented. He's, yeah, he has a podcast. He gives them out on the record, and it's uh, it's been an amazing, amazing year. Uh, but oh, you know what? He gave out a game that I gave out. Uh, he gave out uh, the same team, Wake Forest at home against Pittsburgh. Yeah, I saw that too. Uh, a- any thoughts on Rams Chiefs, which right now is the game of the year in the NFL? Yeah, that Rams defense is not very good. Um, 
Doesn't I make any sense. Pardon? Doesn't make any sense that it's not good. I don't get it. No, I think, you know, they lost to lead. Peter's got a little bit banged up, even though he's been out there. So they're, they're impressive up front for sure. But right back end, I mean, Seattle scored 31 against him both games. They ran for 275, basically, against him last week. And look, the Rams still won. Uh, losing Cooper Cup, I think, hurts them. He, he was an important part of what they did. Um, I just I think having to move the game is an interesting just talking point just because it's the NFL, you know, the hubris of, I will just go down to Mexico City because we're I, I just, well, I don't get that. What are you doing? Um, you, want a, you want a team there and London too? I mean, I guess that's what they ultimately want. But uh, anyway, all those things just made for some interesting subplots um, I like Kansas City. Um, I, 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 I really, I think I was most impressed with them all year in the game they lost up in New England because they just they didn't blink and they just kept throwing punches. I think, I think they're uh, they're really really interesting uh, to see. And Mahomes makes them obviously different than they've been. So I don't know. I like the I like the Chiefs Monday. It's so true what you said about Mexico City. Like, what's the point? What? It, it, the, the Mexico City thing, it's like, what is the point? Are, are we, is the NFL really going to have a team in Mexico City? I mean, did you see that field? I mean, I it's just absurd to, to, to think that there isn't a ton of risk when you do these things. The, the other part of that, too, is I'll be very interested to see what the crowd in Los Angeles is like because the Chiefs are having this incredible year and they've got such a passionate fan base. And we've already seen Packer fans take over the Coliseum. The Viking fans took over the Coliseum for that game. Uh, but a lot of these people probably had already booked trips to Mexico. You know, around know. around this game. So I know you're right, but I mean, as far as the taking over the the stadium, boat, I mean, there are Rams fans in Los Angeles. This is not a pro football city. It never was, and the decision to put two teams there is crazy. By the way, they, they, they've got another excellent seven and two team who plays in a soccer stadium that gets overtaken by the the opposing crowds. But hey, let's build a ninety thousand seat stadium in Englewood. Um, that'll that'll work. Yeah, I just had Ross Tucker uh, on the show, and I just said it's just ridiculous because the same conversation came up. The, the Chargers should move back to San Diego. I don't care what they play in down there. I don't care what, you know, Qualcomm Stadium looks like. They should be in San Diego. It makes no sense that they're in Los Angeles. Nobody cares about the Chargers in no, L.A., and they're never going to care. And, and, and the idea that, oh, I'll, they'll, they'll support them if they win, bullshit. They're, they're, the two teams combined are sixteen and three. They're nine and one and seven and two, and and they don't they don't draw well. USC is the, is the team in that town, not not the Rams, not the and certainly not the Chargers. So well, the Lakers, I mean, the Lakers, the Lakers are the team in that town. But you're right. When SC is good, that's the number two, probably ahead of the Dodgers. It, it, and you want to know how you know that that it's SC's that they're SC's the team when the Rams play played the Packers, you could see the Pac-12 logos on the field. <laughs> like it's an NFL game, and it looks like I mean, it looks like like, like they were playing at Poolsville or something. What are you doing? All right, one last thing. Um, you had some strong thoughts, I think, on your show earlier in the week uh, about Josh Norman and DJ Swearinger's comments about the Redskins fan base. Uh-huh. Uh, would you like to repeat them here? Well, I just said they're right. I just said that you know Norman and Swearinger are right. Look, the Redskins Stadium gets overtaken by the, the road teams, too. And, 
you and I and a lot of your listeners are old enough to remember when RFK truly was as good, if not the best, home field that existed in the league. There were many, many reasons why, and the many, many reasons why they're not anymore don't necessarily matter. But the one thing I said that Swearinger and Norman didn't is that the institutional, organizational arrogance of the Redskins allowed them to believe that that loyalty was forever and that they could just be poorly handled, poorly run, and have decades of poor performance, and that people from Bowie and Loudoun and County and Montgomery County and Fairfax County and the district and all other surrounding areas, even further out than that, would continue to trudge to the stadium, which isn't easy to get to and isn't a great stadium to begin with, and, and post every Sunday, eight Sundays a year, for, for, for forever. They, they, I think they truly believe that, and they've run their organization that way. And maybe organizationally they don't care because they're worth what they're worth. But at some point, all of that comes home to roost, and you play in a stadium where you've got to take seats out. You're offering up season ticket packages. You've got uh, Atlanta Falcons fans come in and overtake your stadium. Like I get when it's Pittsburgh or Green Bay. They've got massive national followings. But you got the Atlanta Falcons fans coming in and taking over. Your well, they didn't. Ta- they didn't. Been... They didn't take it over. But but it was shocking how many Falcons fans were in that in the stadium that day. When shocking. I say take it over, I, I don't mean in numbers. I, I, I mean it was a game where the script was the Falcons are winning, and you could clearly hear and knew Atlanta Falcon fans were in the stadium. I mean, I go back to when the Redskins played them twice in one season and beat them twice along the way to a Super Bowl, and the idea that you that, that Falcon fans would out would be more vocal than Redskin fans would have been you'd have been laughed off the face of the earth, and that's what happened when they played them there. So will that happen when they play um, the Texans? I doubt it. I don't know how many Texans fans there are in the area, but however many there are in the area will be in the stadium on Sunday. You know that's true. So. I agree with what those guys said, and I totally get being frustrated with, you know, uh, how they've been treated at home because the Redskins have a, a decent national following, and when they go to Dallas, you'll know Redskin fans are in the building. Oh that yeah, happens to the Cowboys. You knew it last and week in they, Tampa. When they, when, exactly. I was just going to say the same thing. There are a lot of Redskin fans nationally, and this is this is a trend around the NFL for sure. Yes. And so when people go, oh, it happens other places. I get it. RFK was at other places. It was it was almost unique in its in the terms of its loyalty and and how you just didn't come in there as another fan. Not that you were going to be beaten up, but you just couldn't get in the building. Now it's it is what it is, and um, you know there are, as I said many many reasons for it. But I I hope for them that the fact that they're six and three, even though it's a lot of smoke and mirrors, it feels like they're a six and three division leader. And they deserve people's support. But uh, it, six and three is a, is a three-month window of performance. And you've got 20-something years worth of not a whole lot of great performance. So atrophy happens over time. The bandwagon, I, I don't know if it happens that quickly. They win this week. They win on the road against Dallas on Thanksgiving. Then you, there's no excuse for Redskin fans not to you know, dust off the old uh, Charlie Taylor jersey and head back out there. Okay. Well, I mean, we could we could come more recently with like a Clinton Portis jersey or Sean. T- I like Charlie Taylor because it takes me back to the old 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 school. Of Nothing wrong with forty two. Nothing wrong. Here's the thing about forty two. When you see forty two in the crowd, there's only one guy. There's only one guy. Andy's here with me. What did you What did you want to say? Uh, I was going to say 
Hold on, we got to turn up his mic here. And remember this: when Charlie Taylor played, you couldn't buy his jersey. So if you had Charlie Taylor's jersey, yes. you actually had Charlie Taylor's jersey. <laughs> actually, Andy. Well, I don't know because when I was a kid, Andy, when I was a kid, I had a forty-two jersey. I don't know how the hell I got I, it, but I, I mean, I'll tell you how got you got me one for Christmas. I know exactly you how you got it. The Redskins were playing. I had it on. I know exactly how you got it. Don't you remember? And Andy, I can't believe you don't remember this, but they would sell the helmet, the shoulder pads, and a jersey in like one package yeah. for your team oh, yeah. because I had a yeah. Larry Brown jersey. I had 43 and I had 55 I think somewhere. Well, that's the only way uh, you could Chris get hamburger. It. But you could you couldn't go into like a Dicks. Well, there wasn't no, no, Dicks no, and and you know pick out any player you no, wanted. No, no, it, it's it's yeah. you know the last 25 years yeah. has completely changed. Um all right, thank you. Uh that was lengthy, but it was very good and I appreciate it. Go out and play in the snow. You got a lot of it. You you sent me some pictures. Yeah, we did. We did. I I, I, we got a lot of snow because we get a lot of snow up here. I I, uh, I didn't need it on November fifteenth. I could tell you it was it was more than we we were hoping for. I'm with you. All right, thanks. Appreciate it. See you. Have a great day. All right, let's get to the smell test. Kevin looks where the John Q public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's, it's time, time for the, the smell, smell test. test. All right, look, there's a lot of season left. Stop hammering me over the last few weeks. I, I went three and zero in the NFL, and most of you don't even take my catch picks. Most of you take my NFL picks. 3-0 and last week in the NFL with the Titans, Browns, and Cowboys. I was. I was a little bit nervous about all three. Going with Cleveland again after the week before uh, was a little bit dicey, but that was never in doubt. The Titans game was never in doubt, and the Cowboys game was never in doubt. You had three easy NFL winners. Two and six, though, the day before. So it was a five and six weekend. I am still up record-wise for the year. Uh, I am currently 59, 58, and 3. So you're losing with juice if you've played every single one of my picks. But again, we've got seven NFL weeks. We've still got two college football weeks, plus championship Saturday, and then bowl games galore. Come on. Long season here. All right, on Saturday, I'll tell you what, I, I don't love the board. There's nothing I like about this board. There wasn't one game that really spoke to me. Um... Sometimes that's a good thing. Maybe it'll be a big week. I, I don't have any idea why Ohio State isn't a bigger favorite tomorrow at Maryland. I really don't. I, I thought this would have been 20-plus. And they opened at 16, and it's down to 14, 14 and a half in spots. you got to understand, if you've watched Maryland, they're not good against these teams with big, strong, athletic lines of scrimmage. They, they couldn't move the football at all against Michigan or Iowa or Michigan State. And in those games, they turned into one-sided, you know, blowouts. I'm surprised. I think it speaks much more to what uh, the odds makers believe about Ohio State. And, you know, maybe Maryland with Kasim Hill. I mean, we wish him the best. It's a second straight year with a torn ACL. Um, but maybe they believe Maryland's going to be more effective offensively with Terrell Pigram at quarterback. Piggy, Maryland's a smell test pick this week. The public is pounding Ohio State, laying 14.5. They perceive it to be a short number. I don't know how Maryland's going to score against Ohio State, but I'll take the Terps plus 14.5 and, and hope for like a 27-14 to 14 final. Maybe it's 27-7 late and they get some sort of Hail Mary on the final play of the game to get the cover. Uh, although if they did it on the final play of the game, they probably wouldn't even kick the extra point. But I'm getting 14 and a half. So 27 to 7, 20, I'll take 27, 13. 
although most of you may have it at 14. I play, just so you know, I've been asked about this, scores and odds, Friday lines. It doesn't always work out well in my favor by the time we get to Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Elsewhere, I think Notre Dame's laying an awfully big number to Syracuse. You know, I I mean, it's very rare where you can get Notre Dame as an anti-public play, but this weekend is it. They're laying 10 against Syracuse. I don't know if people think that Yankee Stadium is going to be this home field advantage for Syracuse. Notre Dame's got, I mean, New York's got more Notre Dame fans than they have Syracuse fans, especially Syracuse football fans. That's a big number, um, and I know Syracuse can score. This this sort of goes hand-in-hand hand with, remember two weeks ago? No, last week. I'm sorry. Last week when I gave Oklahoma out as a big favorite against Oklahoma State, and I said, I don't know how this is going to happen because Oklahoma shouldn't be laying 20-and-a-half to, to Oklahoma State. They can't stop anybody, and, you know, I was wrong, dead wrong. I mean, that, game, that, that wasn't even close, and maybe this week – Notre Dame's not going to be able to stop Syracuse, and you're going to get a 38-31 game or 38-35 game. But that number's too high, and the public likes Syracuse. I like Notre Dame. Scott uh, told you about Florida State. Uh, Florida State stinks. I mean, they are a bad football team this year. Really bad. I mean, they've been hammered this year, you know, at times. They got blown out last week against Notre Dame. NC State blew them out. Clemson embarrassed them. Clemson had 59 points. On Florida State going into the fourth quarter, yet somehow against Boston College, who's a good team, they're seven and three. They're only getting a point and a half. Uh, I'll take Florida State plus the point and a half. The public is overwhelmingly on Boston College in that game, and there is also some sharp money. I was told this morning on the Knolls. And then Scott had my other game for Saturday. Kansas State stinks, too, and they're painful to watch. They're catching a perceived short number under a touchdown at home against Texas Tech, a team that can really score. They're getting six and a half. Give me K-State plus the six and a half. Let's go to Sunday, and then I do have a Monday night selection. Um, Aaron, I think you said this. You said Jacksonville, can that Pittsburgh's on upset alert. That line's weird. That line's weird. It's short. It's five. Now, there was some sharp money early in the week on Pittsburgh, and I've heard that that's evened out a little bit. Give me the Jaguars plus five at home against the Steelers in a anti-contrarian uh, pick. Uh, I know I've given out the lines before. Fortunately, I didn't uh, last week. Um, but they're catching a relatively short number at home against Carolina. Uh, it's four and a half. I like the Lions plus the four and a half against the Panthers. Uh, here's one that I think really reeks, all right? The Chargers are only a seven-point favorite at home against Denver. I know they don't have much of a home field advantage, but the public loves the Chargers thinking that they you know, only have to win by seven or more against a Denver team that has obviously struggled to score with the exception of that one Thursday night game against Arizona. Uh, Denver, however, you know, has covered I think they've covered three of the last four weeks and of course I had them in the week that they didn't cover when they were short favorite against Houston I like Denver plus the seven and then Monday night um the public loves Kansas City in this game catching three and a half in LA uh they're playing the Chiefs and that number's gone up from now it it went up because of the change of venue a little bit, but the Rams are laying more than a field goal so you get the Chiefs plus three and a half 
Uh, the average Joe better believes that that's really good value. I'll take the Rams and lay the three in the hook. Uh, I'll buy it to, to three. Trust me, you should too. Um, but I like the Rams. So the smell test, Maryland plus 14 and a half. Notre Dame minus 10. Florida State plus one and a half. Kansas State plus uh, six and a half in that game, right? Was it six and a half that I gave out? I think it was. Uh, then on Sunday, Jacksonville plus five. The Lions plus four and a half. The Broncos plus seven. And the Rams minus three and a half. Check that K-State number. Did I? I'm going back to scores and odds here. Hold on. Let me just see. Uh Plus six and a half. Yeah, plus six and a half K-State. All right, so eight plays this weekend. If you listen to this podcast and you've got a chance to rate it, um, one of the things, we've talked about this, uh, you can't rate it in most uh, settings without subscribing to it, but subscribing to it doesn't mean you pay and it doesn't mean you give information. Um, Subscribing to it allows you to rate it, and if you can do that, it's really good for this podcast and we would appreciate it. Also, tell people that want to listen that don't know how to do podcasts that it's okay. They can just go to thekevinsheehanshow.com, and it's right there. Uh, very easy to consume. All right, let's bring in Andy Poland. Andy's been looking at the opponents in the past, performances and memorable moments against the opponents. They don't have many against no, Houston. This is the fifth game they've ever played uh, between the two teams, but the history goes back to actually the first trade that the Texans ever made. Now, you remember Charlie Casserly was their first general manager. They were an expansion team in 2002, which meant that each team would protect a certain number of players and you were allowed to pick from the rest of them. So Danny Werfel was a backup quarterback on the Bears in 2001. Casserly didn't want Danny Werfel, but he knew Steve Spurrier would want Danny Werfel. So he claimed him, and he the first trade that he ever made, he traded Werfel to the Redskins for Jerry Deloach, who was a pretty good yeah. tackle, started four years for Houston, 36 games, and uh, basically fleeced the Redskins on that. And the good story about that is Werfel calls up Spurrier, and he says, okay, I'm, I'm part of your team now. He says, well, I guess you're going to have to come in and sign a contract. He goes, no, we, we do that over the phone, and we'll see you at minicamp. And that was that. So he's got Werfel. He's got his boy. Spurrier didn't know that you could sign a contract without being there. <laughs> well, he also he also said to Marvin Lewis, his defensive coordinator, he says, I see we got two fields here at Redskins Park. Which one would you like to practice on? And Marvin said, well, we only got 53 guys, so we sort of have to practice against each other. So that was that. All right, first game is 2000. 2000- <laughs> I mean, I have not heard that particular story before. So Spurrier thought it was the old, you know, we got 100 players. Right. Yeah, which one? Defense, you're going to take that one, we'll yeah, take that one? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's He's funny. Big, I've never heard that oh, yeah, one before. It was, in a, uh, it was in a Sports Illustrated story about Spurrier when he first took over. So you can look that up. Uh, the first game they played, December 22nd, 2002. This was at FedEx. And this was the Watson. Was Spurrier. Yeah, it was Spurrier's first year. They, were, they had uh, started out five or, or yeah five and nine and they won their last two games to finish seven and nine it was the texas two-step they played the cowboys the following week daryl green's last game at home yeah but they played houston and uh, this was liddell betts and kenny watson betts had 116 yards watson had 100 i said let's call it watson betts and just go with that but no the next year they had to get trung candidate remember him yeah yeah All right. and the whole jet well from the rams and then they had the whole jet skin thing right that year too right uh this is first since 85 to get two backs over 100 yards in the same game david carr 12 of 31 he he was probably sacked hold on for a second 
That was the first time the Redskins ever had two backs go over 100 yards in a game. Since 85. Oh, I was going to say, because I know Larry Brown and Charlie Haraway went over 100 Later together a couple up. times. I'm thinking that, that Riggins and... Yeah, uh, like, well, Riggs and Biner probably yeah, did it. Yeah, so it was 85 had been the previous time they well, did that would have been Well, that would have been Rodgers and Riggins. Probably so, yeah. Um, Patrick or, Ramsey... Or Jamie Morris. Could have been. And somebody. Could have been, yep. Uh, anyway, Patrick Ramsey, 190 yards and two touchdowns in that game. Now, remember, that was that was Ramsey being played against Spurrier's wishes because his two Gators had flamed out right. at that point. And uh, the Redskins won the game 26-10. to 10. Next time they met, September 24th, 2006. This was at Reliance Stadium. The Redskins won 31-15. to 15. Clinton Portis had, 100, had 86 yards. Betts had 124. They held the ball for 38 and a half minutes. But here's, here's the thing that's memorable about this game. Mark Brunel was 24 of 27 for 261 yards, but one of those completions was a 74-yard catch and run by Clinton Portis, meaning he completed 23 passes for under 200 yards. But didn't wasn't that the game where he started uh, 20 for 20 or something? 22 like that? straight, and in 2008, when I went to the Hall of Fame for both Daryl Green and Art Monk going in that year. I toured the Hall of Fame, and I almost threw up in my mouth when I saw the jersey and the football in a case. Brunel's. In Canton, yeah. Because that was the most consecutive completed pass? 22 straight. I don't know if that's been broken since. Yeah, a lot of them were behind the line of scrimmage. It was ridiculous. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, without the 74-yarder to Portis, he, he hardly has any passing yardage. But they won that game easily. Next time. At FedEx Field, September 19, 2010, the Texans won 30-27. This is a real shootout. Matt Schaub, 38-52 of for 497 yards and three touchdowns. McNabb, 28-38, of 426 yards and a touchdown to Cooley, 22-yarder to Cooley. Ron Jaworski, in his way, said, I have watched every pass that he has ever made, and this was the best game he ever played. Yeah, but do you know what um, the Shanahan's said what? Uh, privately after that game? That he left 150 yards out there. Really? That he should have. He, Mike, it, still to this day, Shanahan, Mike Shanahan remembers that Houston game and yeah. says Donovan should have had over 500 yards passing in that game, and they should have won the game. Yeah. Well, that's. Yeah. I mean, he had 426. Yeah. Two quarterbacks passing for nearly 500 know, yards incredible. apiece. Really amazing. And then the last time was the first game that Jay Gruden never coached. They played at Houston. Texans won. Yeah. 17 14, to six. 17 six. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick was the quarterback in that game yeah. threw for only 206 yards rg3 this was uh you know the new coach and you know who he i don't think he was doing exactly what gruden wanted his numbers weren't terrible 29 of 37 267 yards and he ran for 26 the big play was a blocked punt randy bullock blocked a tressway punt and alfred blue recovered in the end zone they also threw a 76 yard pass to deandre hopkins so it's 2-2 after four games yeah the uh yeah, 2-2 two, two after four games. And this one, uh, Sunday afternoon at FedEx Field, Houston right now a three-point favorite. Let's get to Redskins score and more to finish up the show. Time to settle the score. It's score and more. All right, you had it dead right two weeks ago, dead wrong last week. Although, if well, you check the tape, on. if you check the tape, yeah. I said, unless there's a lot of turnovers. Well, four nothing in turnovers, yeah. come on. Yeah. I think I think uh, everybody knew that if you win the turnover battle for nothing, you're going to have a chance to yeah. win the game. Um, all right, what do you like this week? I like the Redskins to win. I, I mean, I'm wrong every week, but no, you're not. You had it completely right two weeks ago. Two weeks, but but most of the year I picked against them and they won, or I picked them to win and they and they lost. Here's what I think about the NFL. I know that Texans are coming off a bye week. 
but they've won seven straight. I don't think six, they're... Six straight. Six? That's right. Yeah. They'll just be seven if they win. I don't think they're good enough to win seven straight. I just think that's the NFL, and I think that they're due to lay an egg, and the Redskins are coming off... I mean, without the turnovers, that really wasn't much of a performance last week. Right. Uh, I think they're they're ready to, to turn a corner and play a little bit better offensively, and I think they win a close game. I, I think... I, I don't see them scoring 20 points. I think they can win this game 17-14. Last time they were seven and three was that last year at RFK, the '96 yeah. season when they started seven and one, mm-hmm. lost two in a row, then beat the Eagles to get to eight and three, and they ended up losing that big game in Arizona. Remember, late in the season, didn't make the playoffs in their final yeah. year at RFK. It would be—it's amazing that they haven't been seven and three in 22 years. I mean, I'm not talking about nine and one or eight and two or ten and zero. Oh. You know, I I got to think that every team in the league has been seven and three at least once in the last twenty two years. Cleveland through ten games. I don't know. They had the one eleven win season. Yeah, I they think. did. Yeah. Um, the um, I don't love the Redskins this week. I I I think that this is a tough matchup for them. They just played the two easiest defenses they will face uh, the rest of the season. Uh, it's all decent to very good defensive teams they'll face the rest of the way. And I pointed this out, Andy, the other day that, you know, Cleveland put 400-plus yards and 28 points up against Atlanta last week, and the Redskins couldn't even move the football Mm -hmm. against Atlanta. And the Skins against a Tampa team that was giving up the most points on average per, uh, per game for any team in the league They got 16, and they couldn't move the football consistently. And I know they didn't have the ball a lot in the first half, and there's a lot of circumstance around that. Maybe they didn't push it because they they like their bend, don't break, you know, Mm -hmm. wait for the turnover strategy last week. Um, Houston's nasty defensively. Uh, I think the Redskins are going to have a very difficult time moving the football on Sunday. I think this might be the game that they turn it over once or twice. They're due. Um, Now, again... If Houston self-destructs, Which like it's happened in six games this year, they, they're going to have a chance to win a 19-16 to 16 type of game. Mm-hmm. But I like Houston 24-16 to 16 in this game. Uh, and I think the, the footnote is, is I think there's going to be f- some frustration when they get behind that they're not more aggressive mm-hmm. uh, in trying to get the ball down the field. And, and, and they may not be able to with Houston's pass rush if, if the Redskins become one-dimensional. But I think they lose this game at home 24-16. to By the way, nine games plus 11 on turnovers. That's good. Thinking back to that 83 team. Plus 43. Plus 43. They must have been plus 11 after like three weeks, right? Two weeks? Yeah, I mean, it was ridiculous. Yeah. But, you know, if you look if you look back at NFL games in general, if you go to pro football reference, you know, and you look at box scores from games in the 70s and 80s, they're just – there were so many more turnovers. There right. was not a – for whatever reason, back then they hadn't figured out that if you protect the ball, you got a chance to win. Yeah. I mean, there were lots of games that the Redskins well, and different teams were involved in where there were you know six, seven turnovers per side. One thing that changed dramatically in 78 was the way you could cover the receivers. Of Prior to that, yeah. quarterbacks throw into a window where he thinks the receiver is going to be, but Pat Fisher has tackled you know the, the receiver and, and he's not there. The rules changed, so interceptions were really cut down. I mean, I think you, lo- you look at Namath, Jurgensen, some of these Hall of Fame quarterbacks, they have incredible in- interception numbers oh, yeah. that they wouldn't have today. Yeah, Namath, Namath has more interceptions than, than touchdown, touchdown passes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
All right, thank you. Thank you. Uh, enjoy the weekend. Thanks to Ross Tucker, who joined us on the podcast today, Scott Van Pelt and Andy. Thanks to Aaron, who's doing a great job. Uh, we'll be back with the podcast available very early. Uh, when you get up Monday morning, it'll be available. We'll do it you know, real late sen- Sunday night or very early Monday morning, so it's out early, so look for it then. Uh, have a great, uh, great weekend. I will put the smell test and some other blog entries up on the KevinSheehanShow.com during the course of the weekend. Um, so look for that as well. Have a great day, great weekend. Get a win, and then you're seven and three going to Dallas with a little bit of look. They could have a three-game lead in the division when we're back here on Monday. Uh, enjoy the day. <laughs>